I'd love to invite you <clears throat> into a process with me that you're already in anyway. Um, <clears throat> and that is uh, coming into like a more synchronized process of becoming a group antenna. So it seems like this gap between worlds where one world stopped and a new world is coming is a beautiful, perfect gap for listening, deep listening. And part of the essence of what temple trainings are building towards, which is eventually a, a mystery still community here, is um, a trained antenna, basically. It's a trained mechanism made of human beings that uh, are on different soul uh, raise and have different personal capacities starting to tune themselves together so that they can download en masse something that can't be downloaded by individuals. And part of the hope of the Aquarian age is that we, we start to realize ourselves as one being. Humanity is one being of cosmic origin. And this individuality of everybody in their own little life struggling to make a living is replaced as this realization of who we are as a being starts to ripple through the world. And that requires the soul emergence. Because when the soul emerges, it knows it's not separate. The soul is inherently group conscious. It's inherently part of something greater. So a part of the experiment here has been to, to connect us up <clears throat> erotically and in our hearts and in our souls so we can begin to really feel that synchronicity <clears throat> is not just this weird thing that happens, it's actually the way of life if souls are deeply connected and embodied. That there is a... There is a trans-rational, trans-mental uh, mechanism that is shining through human beings intelligently and linking us in, 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 a, in, a, in a way beyond our conceptual understanding. And that's the sense of ecstasy or bliss that happens when you feel like you are being called into whether it's a relationship or a place or a purpose or something that you know in some much deeper way than your conscious knowing. So we're in that experiment together. And for me personally, you know, the journey over the last 20 years of um, having this periodic deep inner connection with uh, a Tibetan master and beings in the inner worlds has been both an incredibly sacred, precious thing. So it's something that sits at the very core of my soul. It's part of knowing a love that I've never experienced any other place and being humbled by, by, um, by being used really to, to transmit through when I know it's, I'm just this very small cell in a great being um, that has this capacity and longing, longing for it to be a group process, longing for it to be a process where everybody is receiving through their own transmission, their own transmitter. But that requires some prerequisites, which means that, that people have to be um, at a point where they're able to listen.
So there's the capacity to listen, and not many people have that capacity to listen. But in a way, you all have some of that capacity to listen because that's why you're here. You were called here because of that divine synchronicity of souls. And then the other thing is, is consent or willingness. And this is a huge one because when you consent to be used by the world soul, you're actually giving up a lot. I mean, you're getting a lot, but you're giving up a lot. So what is it that we're giving up, even though it's an illusion? We're giving up like the, the, you know, the personal aspirations to have a functional life in the three worlds. You know, that, that thing that's driving everybody out there of like making a living and making a life and, you know, being direct, directing your own life. And that feels like a lot to give up. But what you're gaining is being used in a great adventure, in a much greater life than what you could conceive of for yourself. You're, and this is the modern day priest or priestess, that, that the soul itself is known that it's incarnate for a deeper reason than just going off and being successful. That it's come already tuned in, waiting for the call, waiting to remember why it came and waiting for enough pieces of the puzzle to come together in enough different ways so that it becomes unmistakable, like, yes, this is it. This is the time and this is the way. So there's the, there's the resonance with others and then there's the timing on the planet. And sometimes we're swept up, at, you know, before our time, coming ready or not. And other times it's like, oh my God, I've been waiting for years for this. But the big times come, and those big times call for the archetypal adventure that lies in our soul. And so as we show up for that, with our capacity that we have, and for some people, their way of really deeply receiving impression and transmission from the world's soul is through their body. Like their body moving and dancing and ecstatic, and then all of a sudden, boom, they remember who they are and why they're there. For some people, it's the heart, it's the deep sacrifice of love for others or something beyond them that sweeps through them and all of a sudden love is, is calling them into a deeper memory of who they are. And for some, it's, it's the will or power, it's consciousness and transmission of um, greater states of purpose and awareness. And, and for all of us, it's a mix anyway. Each of us is this unique pattern of a being. But we all know when we have some capacity, and then the other question is consent, the willingness to be used, and the reason for it. Like, what would, what would make us offer our lives to a greater life? And it's normally some version of love. Or in fact, you know, the three journeys that I've, I've working with many people over many years, there's three motivations that I see. One is desperation, that actually life suck, sucks, that they've tried running their own life and it doesn't work, that they've succeeded or they've failed miserably or something, but they're just so exhausted and they're desperate. 
So sometimes on the point of suicide or death or a drug overdose or something, there's that awakening that says, ah, that's why I'm unhappy. That's why it doesn't work. Because I'm here for something else. And now I'm going to turn towards it. And for some people, it's love. It's a deep, heartbreaking, open experience of belonging to something much greater than the self. And it can be triggered by birthing a child and holding that precious being in your arms and realizing your life is over as you knew it. Or it can be a deep falling in love with the environment or something that breaks your heart open irrevocably so you can't go back to being a separate individual. And for some, it's the thrill of the adventure. It's just the divine adventurer. It's like, oh my God, nothing else will do it for me but to be on that life-death edge of fire. Like, I'm the one who volunteers for the hard jobs because I want the exposure. I want my boat to leave the harbor and the wind in my sails and I want to not know if I'm going to live or die. I just want life moving through me at all costs. And any of those paths work, but they do require our will, our will to, to, to give ourselves to it with whatever capacity that we have. And we all have that thing. I, I have that thing myself deeply is like, why would you use me? You know how that thing in love affairs happens where somebody really loves you? Somebody actually shows up and loves you? And there's a part of you that goes, holy fuck. I can handle trade and exchange, but love, unconditional love from another human being, like I, I, can't, I can't meet this. I can't meet this because I don't have the self-worth to meet this. I'd much rather give you something or trade something with you so I can feel like I've got some power instead of the helplessness and the vulnerability of knowing that you just love me because you love me. So that's such an incredible and vulnerable act in our relationships. Imagine how deep that is when it goes, starts going between worlds, when we have to expose ourselves to the love of other kingdoms that are more developed than humans, that can look through a human being with all of your little you know, distortions and selfishnesses and whatever and love that anyway. Like how exposing it is to come under the gaze of um, higher love, greater love, deeper love than just humans. Humans is hard enough. So it requires an incredible humility and acceptance that yes, on the one hand, there's ego and, you know, aggrandizement and glamour. But on the other hand, there's an incredible sense of like lack of self-worth. It's like, who am I? I'm just this fucking human who sometimes struggles to get his pants on one leg after the other. You know, like how, how can I offer myself to something so great that, that love that, that is so great? How can that flow through this tiny fucked up thing called a human being? So that, that willingness to offer yourself anyway, as fucked up as you are, as flawed as we all know we are. But to put that on the altar, to make it holy, to make of your life a sacrifice to something that's greater than pursuing our own personal desires or ambitions. That's always been the deep sacrificial drive that has brought the human soul into the future. And it's needed now more than ever by those beings who are trying to bring in something new, which is not just a version of the old repackaged. It's something new. 
And so for that newness to come, we need guidance. It's not going to come from inside our minds. It's not going to come from cleverly rearranging thoughts that have happened before. already been tried a hundred times. It's worn out. So for something genuinely new to come in, we actually have to be humble enough to seek guidance. And to recognize that there is guidance. And that guidance is just fucking waiting for us to receive it. So I want to invite us on a Wednesday, for those of you who want to, to engage in a group process of listening together, of coming under guidance, however we know that to be, however your guidance works, but to come collectively under that process. So I'd like to have a temple tonight where we, where we come with that intention to come and listen however we listen. One person could be listening through through meditation, another through dance, another through, through writing, as long as it's quiet and reverent and we, we generate a field together. So the most important thing is the purity of intention, that willingness to come and offer yourself. And then when that starts to flow, when the threads, you only need one thread, just need one thread, one idea, one dance move, one, one movement of your heart. And if, you're, if it's pure and you pick out on that thread, the whole universe will come through. It's not like there's any shortage of ideas. Like it's huge what's available to us. The thing that limits us is inside us mainly. So I want, I want to, like my ideal actually for our time together would be that this is an important part of the group experiment to deeply listen. And we have the time when we're focused on working on the land and, and when we're doing the, the relating and building new relationships of power and money and connection with each other and all of those things are beautiful. But also we need to add though our, our guidance where does our inspiration come from? Where, where do we take our time away from the things of the physical world that call us and turn towards the invisible and the intangible that makes it all worthwhile? Where do we turn towards the love, the source of love inside us and offer ourselves as willing um, students of that love? And at the same time, as the is our, our process, we're all so at this very rare place on the planet where the, the guidance that's given us now is not just for us, it's to plant seeds for new civilization. So the things that come through for each of us is not just here for us. And our work in the world doesn't come from us having a clever idea and going and marketing it. It comes from calling out in our need for something to be different inside us, to be given that for us, but not just for us. So our work becomes the piece that we need most to shift in us. We become the living teaching. We become the living example of how that thing got shifted in us into its new pattern and now we are the expert in that. We are the one who knows how to, to take that to the world because it happened inside us. 
And it's not because we got inspired with our mind and then our clever marketing system went and tried to create something in the world. No, we actually have to have made of our whole life the, the piece of blank paper that the artist paints on. We have to make of our life the living, the living um, experiment, the living laboratory so that we are that. We are the teaching, like it's alive in our blood, in our bones, in our relationships, in everything that we are. And then, of course, yes, you have to find ways of speaking about that or transmitting that. But it's become alive in you. You've gone out of here as someone transformed, as a pillar in a new temple, because you offered yourself to that. And it worked its alchemy and magic on you. And how you know is because it shifts things inside you that you don't think will ever be shiftable. Because that's the power of love. That's what love can do. Love can change things that are unable to be changed in any other way. So, my particular way um, has been to go through consciousness. Even though I've learned also to go through heart and body in other ways, but that was my particular way. And so, my offering you know, to guidance has been, okay, so I've developed this consciousness. You know, I've developed intelligence, but it's of no fucking use to me. Like, the intelligence I developed in my life, <clears throat> I was a childhood genius, and so I scurried through school and university and learned everything that seemed to be out there to learn, and at the end I realized it was a bunch of shit. It didn't fucking matter. It wasn't what I was looking for. I wasn't looking to know all the answers to all of the questions of the mind. I was looking for love. I was looking to know how to be in the world as love. And so consciousness can take us so far. But then it has to surrender. So what I did is say, okay, I know all of this stuff. I'm giving it all on the altar. Like I would trade everything that I know for one drop of love, one drop of pure love, one drop of love that comes from a place beyond knowing. But of course, whatever you take to the altar becomes your, your gift to the world. Because all of that knowledge is worth nothing without love. But with love, it points to love. With love, it can help other consciousnesses find the way to love. The same whatever, whatever you do, if you're an amazing dancer and you're tired of being famous or you're tired of not being famous and you give your dance back to where it came from back to the source of all things and let that source dance through you. Now people will travel the world to see you dance, but it's not you anymore. So we each have our own sacrifice to make after we've accumulated our skill and our intelligence or our art, our craft. We offer that back to the art. And then that becomes what flows into the world and actually gives other people something good to eat. There's a difference between one piece of knowledge and another or one piece of food and another or one dance and another. The difference that people are thirsty for and longing for is, is there love in it? Is there love in this offering? Or is it clever? Is it designed to get attention or money or something? Or is it designed to love me? Is there love flowing through this? 
So we come to a temple of sacrifice, which means to make holy, to make of our lives something good to eat for others. And ask to be inspired, however that is. And then see how that inspiration, how synchronistically links with each other. That somehow what's coming through you and you and you belong together. In the same way that our dance or our eros or something reveals greater patterns. Same when we come through consciousness or we come through the heart. So, yeah, would you like to try that? Are we already trying that? Yes. So it's a way of just doing that with more consciousness and more presence and more intention using our will and saying, here's what we're for. We're not coming to the temple to get something. We're coming to offer ourselves to love so that it can show us something and through us show others something. So I want to share a little bit about um, some of the pieces that are coming through me at this time and in uh, my transmission work. And a lot of this work is it's for the future, it's for these mystery schools as they unfold. Um, but there is a really important piece that belongs in this mystery school. The transmissions recently have been about the seventh ray. This is a seventh ray mystery school. And part of the essence of the seventh ray is that it it teaches the divinity of matter. And it's very hard to talk about matter when we are still stuck in matter. So most of us um, are inside matter. Our, our awareness, our consciousness is buried in mind and emotion and so on. So when we talk about matter, it doesn't really make sense. And it's said in the language of the masters that the, the, the seventh ray master is feminine and all of the other masters were masculine. And a lot of people was, you know, kind of saying, well, where are the, what, this isn't very gender, you know, balanced, like where are the feminine masters? And the answer, you know, is that, that it's taken this long for the masculine principle of consciousness to become developed enough to be able to encounter the feminine, the real feminine, the divine feminine, without losing presence and consciousness altogether. The power of matter is so great that we can't meet it unless we have developed enough presence and consciousness to be able to stay sober. And that sober thing is really interesting for me in Ireland when I spent time in Ireland teaching there and um, I went to a lake on a misty morning to talk to the goddess of Ireland and say, look, why, why is it so much with the Irish that they, they have this like twisty way of being? And, uh, and she was saying, look, the, the drink is not responsible for the drunk. Like, spirit is not responsible for the way it's used. The par part of Ireland's great mystery is that the, the land is so alive, a bit like New Zealand, that it's easy to get drunk on it. It's easy to become unsober with the power of matter. It's the same power that makes it easy to be addicted to sexuality or to drugs or to, or to like, chasing money or something. The power of matter is 
is intensely powerful and it draws us as if we haven't developed enough separation from matter to be able to master and ride matter without being in it, without being dragged into it. So some of these mysteries of the seventh ray have got to do with understanding the divinity of matter and then being able to use what's stored in matter. So part of our work has been to go to the monad, to the black hole, to the energy in the core of consciousness that is emptiness. But there is also a monad in matter. There's this dark light in matter. And part of the work of Seventh Ray um, people will be to awaken that energy and to be able to use that power of matter consciously so that the more subtle levels of matter and spirit can land. And in a temple like this, it's really important. It's really important that we access the energy that's stored in matter so that it can anchor and hold this vortex that is coming to be here. So I'm going to share a couple of things, um, a couple of po you know, kind of poetic writing. The goddess is often poetic. Um, and then we'll unpack some of them in matter. And the, the, the key to learning about matter is to be patient. Like she's, she's not the straight line path, the masculine. She's the labyrinth. Sometimes it looks like you're going backwards and you're struggling and you're going unconscious and you don't understand. And then all of a sudden, boom, the clearing opens. So don't attempt to like get your straight line linear um, mind going. Open yourself to the, the flow of the goddess. I am she, the triple goddess, mother of all worlds. I have three wombs and seven children. I come to them as the star. I am crone, mother, maiden, virgin, lover, whore. I am time multiplied by space, the veil and the reveal. I am double-breasted and twin-horned. I am the number of the beast and the doorway to initiation. I am the milk and the mouth the labyrinth and the thread. I am the inside of all outsides, the beginning of all ends. I weave the robe of cosmos and crown each eye with fire. I am here to do thy will and I am here for your desire. So each of those you know, lines has layers and layers of meaning, but I just want to um, take you down the journey of three wombs and seven children. That we are inside the womb of matter. And just like a child inside the womb, you know, may have intimations inside them that there is a world outside the womb, they're currently inside the womb. They've been nourished inside a womb. 
And so we live inside the womb of matter until we're ready, until we're ripe to be born. And that birth is always an opening of matter and an emergence. And when we emerge, the world is different. We're in a different world than when we were inside the womb. But we are deep in the womb of matter. And there are many births to free ourselves from layers of matter. And when you free yourself from one layer of matter, now you can work within that matter. When you are inside the matter, you can't work within it. You are being nourished by it. You're a child of that matter. And you could say that what the world suffers from is a lack of maturity. So that we're past the birth time. It's, you know, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks past birth. The, the energy, all of the energy of the environment and of nature that has offered itself and provided itself so that this birth could take place is now struggling, just like a mother who's struggling because, because she was supposed to have given birth and there's no more resources left. So humanity is not birthing. We haven't been birthing now for a few decades. So that's what the acceleration and the crisis has been induced from, to like induce the birth now. It's time to birth. But sometimes, you know, as you approach birth, all of a sudden the, the uh, reality of it is, is harder than you thought. It's going to be more challenging. So we, what all of this group initiation process is all about and the mystery schools and the temples is that places for those births, that birth to happen. That birth for humanity can't happen all at once. Although the coronavirus is really helping that. But it's going to happen in pockets and pockets and pockets. And so the birth um, that's required for the soul to become fully conscious is the birth out of the three worlds. So I want to give you some sense of the, what the esoteric teachings would say about these three wombs and seven. Um, and then the womb of the universe outside that, but the three rooms, the realm of the sun and the realm of the universe. So those are three big wombs. And the human realm also has three rooms, the room of the monad, of the soul and the personality. So humans are stuck in the personality. This is the ego, like it's developmentally a stage that you're supposed to go through, but you're supposed to get beyond it. And humans on mass, humanity on mass has not got beyond it. We've got stuck there. So the whole, you know, you can see that by just looking at if the purpose of humanity is to evolve and you got to a certain level of involvement, then you don't need more money. You don't now need a five-bedroom house with, and, um, and spending your time um, going on travel and while the soul is dying inside. So it's obvious that that can't work that humans were supposed to have got to a place in the Western world where when they got to that place, the natural birth into soul took place. Yes, you've achieved some growth in your personality. Now you've got to a certain age. Now the soul, 
but that birth into soul has not happened. So this womb is the womb that humans are stuck in. So in this map down here, this is this piece where, where the top of the mountain is, but it hasn't given birth to what needs to happen, which is en masse people making the transition into soul. It happens here and there. So in order to get there, there needs to be some understanding about matter. So first of all, I just want to show you a very, another way that the three wombs and the seven children work. So this is a map of the seven planes, which are really rings, spherical rings of the physical etheric. So in this map here, this would be all the way down here. It's, it's basically one of the things that most people, when we talk about matter, we talk about this. But the matter that most people talk about is really just down here, physical matter, the bottom three planes, um, gas, liquid, and physical matter. Okay, so that's the realm of matter as it's understood by most science. And then the higher four planes of the physical are etheric. So they're basically subtle energy. So they're more subtle than the gas, liquid, and dense. And this is where our chakras are. So our crown chakra is in the first ether, according to this tradition. The heart is in the second, the throat is in the third, and the other four chakras are on the, the fourth ether. So you can feel in your own chakra system the vibration of etheric matter is not physical, it's energetic, but it's, it's still all part of the physical plane according to these systems. And that energy that I was telling you about last week of when you get your second wind, that you build your chakra system partly out of the energy of matter. As you put the energy of matter under um, will and desire, so this is why it gets turned on in sexuality. You have a, a sweeping energy of sexuality run through your chakras and it pulls up energy out of your body so that your chakras become more active and more alive. Okay, so as this energy of your chakras kicks in, you become aware that yes, you have a physical body, but you also have a etheric and you can run that energy through your etheric body without it going physical or you can go into your physical or you can fuse the two together. Okay, so this is the big difference between those people in the world, many of people who, who really still live down here. Their identity is stuck in their physical and they, don't have, they haven't turned on their energy fields. And then you have all of the people doing Qigong and doing Tantra and so on that are awakening their energy bodies and activating them. And when they activate them, they're normally using more subtle energy, which is their emotions and desires to move through them. So now you are moving more subtle energy through your etheric chakra system and you're able to be energetic. Hi, mom. Okay, so here's one womb of seven children. And part of awakening in this womb is to lift yourself out of the physical, become awake as an energy being, and learn how to balance your chakras and have energy moving through them. Now this whole thing 
is here. Okay, so, so part of a fractal universe is learning the patterns of matter and then being able to make the jump from one fractal to another fractal. Because some of the mysteries are hidden in higher fractals that you need to apply to the lower ones, and some are in the lower ones that you need to apply to the higher. So the second womb then is that whole system is down here. So here's your heart chakra. Here's your chakra system, here's your etheric body, and here's your physical. Okay, so now this is a map of the planetary womb. Okay, that's, that's the lowest physical. So in this, then here's your etheric physical, here's your astral or emotional plane, here's the mental plane. Okay, so in this system, just like in this system, the lower three planes were dense matter, and these are etheric. So in this system, the lower three planes are dense. So this is the equivalent to the gas, the liquid of your emotional body, and your physical. So here are the chakras of the planet. Okay, so that's where the chakras of a human being are, but here is what's called the ashrams or the place where your soul home is. So just like in this map, your second wind lifts you out of matter into the chakras. So for the planetary chakras to form, so for Earth to really turn on its etheric body, then it needs human beings to pop out of the mental world and start to take up their home in the ashrams. Okay, each dot is a human soul. Now the truth is, your soul is already in that. So it's not like you are going to choose, you know, like where do I go after university? It's like you remember. <laughs> you remember where you belong. But in between these realms is this place of forgetting, and this is also ruled by Saturn, and he's the guy who's been in charge of civilization for the last few thousand years. And he forces our minds to focus on survival and getting on in the three worlds so that we lose touch with who we are as souls and the ashram that we come from. So part of the soul awakening process is to be bigger than Saturn, to break out of Saturn with Uranus, basically, combination of Uranus and Venus. So part of remembering ourselves as a soul is at least to get to the buddhic level. And then the same chakra system works here for the planet. So if the earth was going to be a sacred planet run by its energy system, just like when you become sacred is your chakras open, you start to be able to move energy, feel energy, you start to be able to channel um, love through your etheric body. For the planet, it needs humans to be at least in the planetary etheric. Okay, 75% of humans, it said, are still here. So they're basically in their emotional body. If you fuck with their emotional body, then watch out, because that's where identity is. 
if you play with me and my family and my feelings and whatever, then I'm going to attack you. So most people are there, and then 25% are here. Almost nobody's still identified with their body. Most people have got their identification out of their body. But the people that are ruling the, the, um, the consciousness of the planet are basically in concrete mind. So to get yourself to here is where you would become aware of yourself as a soul. And now you're able to both help others pop up, but you're also able to operate in the subtle worlds. So ultimately here, this is where your rainbow body is. Okay, your rainbow body is not um, your astral body. That's down here. So when people are lucid dreaming and traveling in the astral and so on, they're basically leaving their physical, etheric, but then they're traveling in the astral. And the astral is the emotional plane. So a lot of the shit that happens there is, you know, unresolved wish thinking, basically. It's the emotional realm. A lot of clairvoyancy and all of that is happening on the astral plane. So in order to truly get into the buddhic, you've got to get to this causal body. And it's said that the fifth ashram, the ashram of the fifth ray, which is the scientists basically, they have descended into the mental plane so they can build a bridge to the planetary etheric. And how that works in each of us, our own scientist, is the causal body that place on the higher mental plane where that stores your soul memories through incarnations that if you can get back to your causal body, it's just a, it's just a one jump then. So one jump from your causal body into buddhi. And that's liberation from matter. Okay, but the definition of matter there is different. It's not the matter down here. This is the matter of the entire three worlds. Where most of humanity is in this, most of us pop into this occasionally, but to stably get into the planetary etheric is basically what the spiritual traditions talk about as liberation, moksha, is liberation from being in the three worlds. There are deeper liberations from matter, but this is the critical one for humanity. If we can get enough of humanity into the, into the chakras, then we have the potential to have a culture of love and freedom. If people just change their mind and have clever new idea and new technology and so on, that's not enough. That's more matter ruling matter. So mind over matter is not spirit over matter. Mind over matter is more matter over other matter. Mind over body is just matter over matter. Okay. Even though this whole thing is matter, in the old world, this, these top planes would be called spirit and this would be called matter. And we're in the seventh ray understanding, this whole thing is matter. This is just really refined matter and this is really dense matter. And as a soul, if you can get to the middle plane, you can bring very refined matter into dense matter. Now the earth has a chance of not swallowing all its resources. Because if you can bring this subtle vibration all the way down to the physical plane, you release in matter kundalini on the human level, 
on the planetary level, you release planetary kundalini, which all of a sudden brings a big uprising, which liberates a whole lot of humans into the chakras of the planet. Okay, so the same thing that we do individually, collectively is required now. The great uprising of the planetary energy of matter, so that it kicks human souls up into buddhi. But as you know, individually, kundalini rising is not always a smooth process. For many people, it, it can be psychotic time. A time where actually so much change is going on inside their system and in their psychology that they, they really need retreat or they need a place to, to go so that that spiritual emergence that is happening for them can be like um, uh, held. So imagine when the planet's going to undergo that. And the collective pressure inside people, we haven't even begun to see the mental health problems that we're going to have over the next decade. Because those mental health problems are not caused by environmental factors. They're caused by the human soul way past its birth time, trying to force itself now out of the womb of matter and doing it en masse. That's why so many guides are needed. So many people who have made that process, so they understand that process, they can help other people when they're in that process. Okay, and, and not only just a few guides here and there make their living as a psychotherapist, no, guides thousands for a mass emergence of humanity, millions of human beings being shoved up out of the, the, the body of the planet into here. And that's not the worst of it, because that is success if that happens. The worst of it is that it doesn't happen and, we're, and they're left down here in a slowly decaying world where the environments are getting more and more depleted and the uh, politicians are having more and more regulations and there is a gradual, deep, fast decay into materialism, over um, and out, basically. So in the teachings, just said, the difference is, if you get the Aquarian, if we move into Aquarius, then what moves through the ashrams here is the waters of life. And what the waters of life is, is that that's, this is eternity, relatively, in these higher planes. As that moves through and we realize our immortal nature, that water that breaks us free from fear of death, that nourishes us with awakening, that makes us thrilled and liberated, that's the water of life. That's the eternal spring. That's the holy grail. So the promise of the Aquarian age is, water of life am I poured forth for thirsty man, said by anyone who can get to the ashram. You get to the ashram, you know where you really belong. You are this immortal life. But without that, we are likely to have the symbol of water, which is said the next hundred years is going to be the biggest problem environmentally, is water on the planet. Earth will end in waters of earth, poisoned, rationed, and regulated. And the regulation of water and the survival of human beings on the planet will become um, something that's our scarcity and our lack of awareness of who we really are has produced. So that's how big this journey ahead of us over a decade is. 
It's like either enough humans make it to here and we bring in the help from the higher regions and turn Earth into a sacred planet, or we descend into a fight for the limited resources left on Earth by children that have never made it through their second birth, which they, were, they, they came to have. So one more move. This move is liberation from matter of the three worlds of mind, emotions, and body. But then this whole thing is matter. This whole thing is matter. So there is another move here, which I call radical awakening. And that's when the soul on the buddhic plane, whose job it is to bring this quality of matter into this, this quality into this, this quality into this. And this is the process of at, at one moment. And this, by the way, it's interesting we're doing on the Aries full moon because this is the movement from Egypt to the promised land, right? This is the freedom. This has set my people free. The freedom is this breath of spirit flowing through the etheric that can liberate people from the enslavement of the pyramid. So the role of a soul, if you're awake on the buddhic plane as a magician, is that you now can use matter to help matter. So you can use this vibration of matter to help offset the mind. You can use this vibration, this monadic vibration, to conquer the emotional body and all of its never-ending dramas. And you can use this Lagoic energy to come all the way down to the physical and deeply awaken the Kundalini energy and then bring these together. So the higher mystery of the seventh ray is that, yes, this is the seventh plane, but this whole thing is a seventh plane with the doorway on the middle. And so this is that mystery of Shekinah, that you have the six directions, the six masculine directions from the center, but through the middle is the seventh direction. And through the middle of this plane is a seventh direction that can pop you out of it. And then you go into a next level of planes. which all of that, that, that system, is just down here. <sighs> Blowing your mind? <laughs> so don't try to understand it. Because the thing is, it's fractal. If you get it on one level, it's the same on all levels. Okay, so, and your, your, <clears throat> your system of chakras and the physical plane is all the way down here now. Okay, so this is down here. This whole thing is, this is where your buddhi is. You've popped out of that and you're on here, the cosmic astral plane. Okay, so now this, you're starting to play with galactic consciousness and awareness. So this would be the home of the galactic monad or the black hole is its physical form, but it's not in physical form in any matter. And by the way, my supposition is that if you come back to physical plane matter, that the sun is mainly plasma. And what plasma is, is, is etheric. 
So the etheric is, is coming into awareness as we understand what the sun is, it's electromagnetic plasma, then that's a fourth state of matter. It's not solid, liquid or gas, it's plasma. But that's only the fourth ether. We haven't, we haven't uncovered these in science yet. And I believe a black hole is made of second ether, second ether matter. And it makes sense because it's the same process on this level. Here's where your monad is. So now we go to the galactic level. So this is the, like the spirit aspect of the black hole, would be another way of saying it. The chakras, that the, um, the ashrams, are basically star systems. Okay, so where the seven rays come from all the way down fractically into our own chakra system is their cosmic origin. So these are star systems, which are chakras or, or ashrams within the galaxy. And these also anchor down into the chakras. And the chakras of a galaxy are our ashrams. Okay, so the, our ashrams on Earth are basically part of the chakra system of the great being, which is the galaxy. So what that means is that just as if you liberate planetary kundalini from down here, you get an uprising of human souls into their ashrams. What happens if you liberate galactic kundalini? <laughs> and what is that? That's us. Okay, so so, so on the first map, Kundalini is um, stored up in physical matter, popping up to open our etheric and build our chakra system. On the second map, then Kundalini, planetary Kundalini, is basically what's in matter in the planet coming up. And as it comes up, it pops us into the ashrams. Now that's the equivalent of when you raise kundalini in your own body, it comes to the solar plexus, and there are two solar plexus centers. Okay, so this is the third plane, so it's, it's got a, a correspondence to the solar plexus. The causal body is like the higher solar plexus center. It's where the heart has turned down to the lower three chakras with love. Just like when you're emotionally activated, if you can turn your heart towards that with compassion, then you can lift it up. Okay, so the lifting up of energy from your solar plexus to your heart is the equivalent of human souls popping out of the mental plane into the buddhic. Okay, but then who we are is we realize ourselves as a soul and also a monad and a personality. And then in this level is... You are the kundalini of the galaxy. So a human monad is basically the kundalini of this great being. And it's said that if a civilization on a planet like Earth can remember its origin, then we, what happens to us on Earth is we have the experience of um, this dark light arriving from the galactic center called the coming of the collective avatar. In other words, that 
that being that we are in our essence arrives on earth to awaken us. But how it's registered on uh, in the center of the galaxy as a being is um, a returning dragon. Okay, so when a civilization collectively awakens to remember its origin and makes connection back to that origin, it is, is registered by that origin as a dragon returning. A whole civilization of a planet is a returning dragon. And as that dragon returns, just like Kundalini, it rises up. And it said that Earth is the base center of our solar system. So as humans liberate themselves, that energy flows through the whole system. And even though it's only a very small, a planet is a very small part of a galaxy, it matters. Like the harvest of civilization on Earth matters to much bigger schemes of evolution than we can imagine. So it's not just, we're not just about our own game of our own liberation or a planetary game. We're about a cosmic game. We're a player in a cosmic game. So it's the same map, right? It's three levels of the same thing, three wombs and seven children. And if you can get that map under the law of correspondences, which is whatever is true in one system has a relevance in another system, then you can track this path of energy from the center of the galaxy all the way through the solar ashrams, all the way to um, planetary ashrams, all the way to human beings, all the way to your own sexual fantasies, basically, all the way to your own kundalini. Okay, so before we go any further, um, I want to go to the next piece, but I'm going to open for some questions. Um, but like I say, you don't have to understand anything, everything. Which, what I want you to do is try to get a sense of the fractal map. But are there questions? Yes. So does that, does the galactic um, fractal represent, that's like the crone and then the, the, is that how that works with the three goddesses? Is that like the what? How that, how that corresponds to the triple goddess of the galactic, of this. The triple this goddess? Being the crone map. <coughs> yeah, well the, the crone, uh, you, on that level, this is the crone, um, this is the mother, that's the maiden, but then... On this level here, which is the human level, so this is your monad, uh, and within inside your monad you have the soul, and within inside the soul you have your personality. Okay, so this is the three wombs within the seven, and if you read the transmission, um, it's said like, said like this: that there are three wombs and seven children. But there are seven, there are three within the seven, and then there are the seven, um, then there are three sevens, and then there are the three over the seven. So this is the three within the seven, and the, the role of the personality as maiden is to become a mother. And the way you become a mother in the Christian tradition, it would be talked about the first birth of Christ or in the Buddhic tradition, it's like entering the pathway, entering the stream, the stream enterer. Because here's your emotional body flowing through your heart center, 
at a certain point, the soul comes to birth through your emotions or your heart. So that's the maiden becomes pregnant with the soul and the soul starts to flow through your body-mind. Then there's the process of awakening as the soul. Now you're the mother because you know you've got the maiden inside you. The maiden is your personality. You can now shine through your personality. You're the mother. And when you become the crone, you're the monad. So you have, and as the monad, you have a soul inside you, and inside that soul you have a personality. And if humans were doing what humans are supposed to do, this would be your first 28 years, your next 28 years, and your next 28 years. Remember that model of um, unfoldment through time. Yeah, but we're so stuck that the whole civilization of the planet has, is, is barely out of maiden, which is why our most popular woman is, is some young girl barely past puberty who's the object of all of our sexual fantasies because she's maiden. Okay, so any other questions? Yeah. First of all, I want to say that your wisdom is much, uh, the wisdom that you're sharing is uh, much more relevant to me with the sofa. Like last time you did it just with the chair. Ah, the sofa is, is a better, better frame. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, good. Yeah, maybe I'll just lie like this. <laughs> the reclining Buddha. Yeah. My question is, so it seems like there is something we need to do and like there is a stage we need to get to and there is as if someone is, there is like a war, like an evil, like a good guys and bad guys and and the way you describe it is if there is, there is a count, someone is counting and when we'll reach this point, like the green light will come and it will happen. And my question is, do we really need to do anything or, or this is the stage that we are in and we just need to surrender? Because for me, through what you're saying, which is an amazing structure, it's another uh, um, like uh, heaven and hell uh, concept of if you do this, you'll go to heaven, and if you do this, you go to hell. Well, it's up to you. Like, there's nothing that we all need to do. What I need to do is be very passionate about encouraging people that there's something to do. Okay? That's my, my job. That doesn't necessarily mean you have to do that. Your job could be the note that says, all is well, nothing is ever happening, it's all eternally good, there's nothing to do. Or your job could be, you know what, my, my note to sound is, let's have a party, because it's all beyond us, it's just going to spin our head out anyway, let's just follow our bliss. So we all have our note to sound, and, and I'm not asking everyone to follow my note, I'm just giving my note which is my experience is we are at a critical time in Earth's evolution and the note of urgency needs to be sounded through my being, which doesn't take away from the fact that there is an eternal perfection where everything is fine and there's nothing happening. But within that, there is this world where there are things happening. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the earlier model about like breaking through the concrete mind to the ashram, the Buddhic plane. Yeah. And I'm curious. Part of my note is to like get that connection to the Buddhic and be a bridge for other people that have wealth or power or you know can really move matter. 
Yeah. And I'm wondering what's what's a great way to really connect with that the ashram that we're our soul is with, or to yeah. explore and discover that. What's a what's a great way to connect with them yeah. with it? Yeah. Well, you know the classics are meditation, like you know go up through your own inner world and your pathway out was the path you walked in. So that will take you there. Um, the, the second way is service. So turn into the world and do your highest calling and that will allow the ashram to pour through you. So you're kind of back into it. Um, and then the, the third way is through relationship, through resonance, through connection, which takes you into who are the people I resonate with, and then that awakens you into your ashram. Related to that, um, what how can you define the, the person who broke into the buddhik? Mm -hmm. like, so how, how would people know, you know, yeah, I'm there, or no, I'm still there? Yeah. Well... <clears throat> There's a difference between breaking into it, which is like having a buddhic experience, which all of us would... I mean stage, not state. Yeah, so a, you mean a stage of development? Then in, in this tradition, this would be a, a fourth degree initiate. And a fourth degree initiate is somebody who's stably in buddhi and therefore can run their rainbow body, travel in their rainbow body. So Jesus on the cross, crucifixion, fourth degree initiate, Maybe Dalai Lama, someone like that. So somebody stably in fourth degree is very evolved. Expect to be that ourselves. However, we can um, have times where we are in buddhi. And we can also have plenty of times when buddhi flows through us, through our heart, through our emotions, through our mind. We're inspired um, up through kundalini. But to be that means that you um, yeah, have been able to stabilize your awareness there and not fall into the three worlds. Yeah. So related to that, um, it sounds like we're expecting there to be an upsurge of yeah. fourth ray in, or fourth degree, um, initiates. degree initiates if they're going to be the base of each temple on this planet. So we we're are. Like looking at an upsurge of those. Yeah. Yeah, so there's some... And again, we're relying on that force to like really push us through. If well, that's it's the, this many generations, and there's only a handful. Yeah. Well, it's, at the moment, there's just there's probably uh, the third degree initiates, which are people are stably here. There's probably tens of thousands on the planet. I would say now there's probably a thousand or so of these guys, and then there's lots further down, but as this energy pops up on mass, that's what the mystery schools are for, on mass there'll be an awakening, which means that these tens of thousands will become um, uh, hundreds of thousands, and these thousands will become tens of thousands, something like that. And is that like the next five years? Next, I would say the next ten years is the process not only of them awakening, but also of them coming into power, the beginnings of them coming into power on the planet. So that we change from governance from the body-mind to we recognize these beings as the flower of humanity and we respond with our hearts to their guidance and wisdom and probably that won't come through formal governance, it'll come from in, more informal. So that, it's almost like the, it's like we have to change suddenly on this lower level 
it, it's like we can't do it from top down. We can't wait for the initiates to go up for them to pull us through. It's like we right. have to do it on this level to push all that up. Well, I think it's happening on all three levels. You know, the initiates basically, which we could call the soul of the world, they're busy, you know, trying to land and they're landing through incarnation of some of the children coming in now and they're landing through overlighting others and humanity's trying to get up and this is what we call Shambhala that's sending down this dark energy to help this process happen. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that map is very much about going up. Could you spend just a little bit of time talking about like going down in order to pop up? Going down to come up? Yeah. yeah. So, well, there's a number of ways. One is the kind of tantric way, which is to raise kundalini so your consciousness can pop up. Another way is if you can get up there, then from this place you can penetrate here this way, or you can penetrate your emotions, or you can penetrate your mind. There's a whole... You have, we have to go into fourth dimensional space-time in order to show this. And in the future, I'd love models that are 3D. But basically, this energy penetrates all of those three together. And we're just about to go into, if you can get enough people here to go down into the Kundalini to pull it up for the planet, then that's what's called raising the black dragon. The other way to do that is you you go up to this energy and you call in what we were doing during the training, what's called the Shambhala Impact, which is coming in 2025 next. And that drives the soul in and also, also brings up its response from matter. So you can either go down or you can go up and invoke. One more question and then I want to go on, yeah. yeah. So is it the first time humanity is trying to go up from the lower to the, um, no, well, you, according to the esoteric tradition, humanity should have been uh, more developed, but part of the history of humanity way back, thousands of years, Atlantis and everything else, meant that we got stuck down here. And so because we got stuck down there, there's kind of like an accelerated process of awakening in, in path. But always there have been initiates here and there that have made this journey. That's what all the spiritual traditions about. But you'll notice most of those spiritual traditions, it's like 10 years of bloody purification and then, and then lots of years of you know, something else. And then maybe two lives later, they, they become liberated. But in the Aquarian age, we're talking about mass humanity, not one here and there in the Himalayas. Yeah. Okay, I want to give you the next piece, which is um, going down into the earth. And it's interesting that we were about to, some people here were about to run and awaken the dragon energy, right? When, when was that scheduled to begin? This weekend. So maybe we can find another way of doing that work. Yeah. So this is a transmission that came through um, on an acid trip in Scotland. <laughs> um, this weird mound that, uh, that this black dragon emerged out of. It's a, it a whole story. But the essence of it is that curled up 
in, in matter itself, everything that's above here is also in matter, curled up. That's what Kundalini is. So when you awaken your Kundalini, you awaken your emotional energy, your sexual energy, then you awaken the energy in matter. But all of those higher planes, those three planes, they're all in matter. And as we awaken to higher and higher planes, we also awaken through our microscope more and more levels of matter. So there's deeper and deeper levels of Kundalini. And the more that humans are able to probe into the Kundalini, the more powerful down here is, and this is what brings the higher in. So if we can awaken the galactic dimension of Kundalini and matter, then we can call in the energy from the black hole. Okay, and it's really interesting that last year, when Janine and I were teaching our um, dark divinity in London, they had two photos come out. One of the first photo of the black hole at the center of the galaxy, and the other was the first photo of quantum entanglement of two um, subatomic particles that were deeply linked together. So as human consciousness is penetrating into those two mysteries, we are awakening something. You don't gaze into the deep without the deep gazing into you, Nietzsche says. We don't know what we have awakened. We don't know the power of the dark. We think we're penetrating our light into it, but we're opening a doorway for that dark to enter. And when it enters, it will be a power that changes everything. Just like when consciousness really happened for humanity, it changed everything. This dark energy that's coming is a game changer. It's the energy that will create the liberation. So anyway, this is, the, this is what the black dragon had to say. When the red and white dragons fight, there can only be destruction. When the black rises, harmony is restored. Yet it is the passion of the red and the white that raises the black. The raising of the black ends the fight. The white is the will of the soul, and the red is the will of matter. The black knows no distinction. The black came before the white and the red and is their parent. Together their combined temples remember the ancient one. She was before light and before the matter that turned formed around it. She was before time and space and memory. She sleeps and yet all things wake because of her. She never was so that all things can forever be. Therefore, she can never be raised of her own free will, for she chose not to be. It is only the fight of the red and the white, their glorious passion, that allows she who never was to rise up in that which ever is. She who gave up being for being, when she rises amongst the living, she brings with her sweet death to all who need release. Without her, all things and all identities would live forever. She allows the river of being to breathe back all its tributaries. She is the space in which space exists. 
She is the eternal upon which all infinities endlessly propagate. She is not, and that negation allows the yes of all worlds. So how does the non-existing enter the world of existence? She is the parent of all existing. All her children ride on her back and are made of her. Therefore, when she reveals herself to them, they die. So death is how she is fed. Life is the result of that feeding. A black hole is a tear in existence. It eats stars and yet billions burst into being around it. Black dragons are emanations from the center of the galaxy. When they awake, death results. What is ready to die? The civilization built upon the presence of their absence. When that absence ends, so does the civilization. Therefore, if you want it to end, go with the red and white dragons and use their polarity to awaken the black. These dragons exist all over the earth. Find them and passion them into being. The black agreed to sleep so that the red and white could be. They fight because she sleeps and they are desperately trying to remember her. When they do, game over. Their friction maintains a civilization. Their resolution ends it. At the center of the galaxy, a civilization like that on Earth, which self-remembers its origin, is recognized as a returning black dragon. 2025 is a doorway to that remembering. For just this time. And that which is living inside matter brings an end. It ends the form of our civilization. So civilizations are based on very deep things, including, for example, the civilization that's out there at the moment is based on things like property ownership. Right? That's a keynote in civilization, owning property. But of course, if you own the land, then you don't have access to the energy that's stored in the land particularly if you own it because of fear and survival and trying to make money. So um, the key notes of our civilization, in order for it to tumble, you don't want to take it down bit by bit. It's like the Twin Towers. You want, you want the one place that its, its fundamental foundation is to tumble, and if that tumbles, it all tumbles. So what that's saying is, don't bother about raising everybody's consciousness and so on. Just go down, get the black dragon energy, awaken it, and that will take care of it all. That's the energy that will cause all of the, the um, uh, consciousness changes. And specifically, the way to wake it, this comes out of the Celtic mysteries where Merlin... Um, if you go to the story of Merlin, it's all about the red and white dragon. And the red and white dragon is basically these deep energies of our sexuality, not just our sexuality in the body, but the sexuality that's between the polarity of our soul will and the will of matter. So if you can go and bring those deep, passionate energies together, you can waken the black. 
So part of what we're doing here, why we include the sexual mysteries and these other mysteries is so that we can get enough of a vortex happening for the deep energies of the galactic center to penetrate matter and bring up this energy of matter. If we can bring up some planetary kundalini here, then we're holding a vortex of something that has a totally different kind of power. It's not the same power that consciousness or ideas has. It's the power of kundalini and matter married to the dark light of the monad. That's why I said Haydn is a dark tower. We're like a black acupuncture needle in the body of the earth. And we are awakening currents of energy that are part of this civilization that's coming. The seven three workers have done their work, and particularly their embodiment work and their sexual work, so they can make of their own bodies conduits for this energy to penetrate matter and come up through matter and vibrate from here into the world. So once again, you know, we don't need to know the specifics, but that practice is something that, that we're in. And if we don't just see it from the perspective inside ourselves, if we see it from a much bigger perspective that we're part of something greater, then we can feel how we're being used, collectively being used for something, for an awakening. And all that that really requires from us is our, is our consent to that process and also our willingness to offer um, our lives to the love that is behind it. There is an evolutionary love behind this process going on. So questions about the Black Dragon, and then we'll talk about the temple tonight. And I know that was a long download of very um, diverse and complex stuff. But the essence with matter is she's very convoluted, but she has a key, just like music has a key. And that key is, is music, it's resonance, it's the vibration of matter at different levels curled up inside each other. And if you start to understand the key, then you can play matter like you can play a musical instrument. You can play the vibration of different levels of matter from anywhere on the fractal scale. And that's really what magic is, it's the playing a note here and having the chord above it vibrate and the chord beneath it vibrate until all of those vibrations are coming together. So if we can vibrate these seven, three string, seven stringed instruments, if we can vibrate so the galactic chord and the solar chord and the human chord and our chakras and the earth are all vibrating together, then we have magic. Okay, questions? With uh, your talk about dragons, I, uh, I kept getting hit about Tiamat and her conflict with Marduk and Anu and Kingu and all that. It seemed to have a very strong resonance with me. Uh, so the part that's missing is, what is the register of destinies and how does that fit into this whole scheme? The register of destinies? What do you mean by that? Well, um, I guess maybe you could talk about it. But, uh, yeah, the Register of Destinies was this cryptic reference in the Babylonian myth that was kept by Tiamat, and it was a source of her power, but by the, Marduk was able to de defeat her by depriving her of it. And then he carved from her carcass all of the world and all of the sky and heavens. Mm -hmm. Sounds like part of the eternal doctrine, and it sounds like the, the, the Register of Destinies 
maybe could be translated to what the Hindus would call the Akashic records, is those ways in which matter is impregnated with the mysteries of spirit. And so if he carved a world into her carcass, you know, part of what distinguishes the world we live in is we think matter is dead. We think matter is substance that we can own and we can, you know, do what we want with. But matter is a living being. It's not a corpse. I think the part of the virus today is Tiamat actually waking from slumber. Whoa. Ah. <laughs> Waking from slumber. And remember I said before that there are three ways that the, the soul of the world is said to materialize. One is through new incarnations of children. One is through impression, which is what we're going to try to do in the temple tonight, which is the recognition that there are these beings on these subtle planes that if we make ourselves open to them, they can impress us and inspire us and work through us. So that's the second way, that, that hierarchy drops in through overshadowing, overlighting, and transmission. And the third way is the waking of slumbering entities. Which is, was my question. I, I wonder if you could speak to this. Um, that, that really hit me the other day, the waking of sleeping entities. But I've also noticed this phenomenon in myself and in others of like when we're hit with the great truths. Like, I, I literally fall asleep. Yeah. And... And it's like, if, if I push through, it's like that second wind comes and my whole body gets alive. But if I don't, I just, I just fall out. And I don't know why, I feel, I feel like this is important, but I don't know if yeah. it is, if you could speak to that. Yeah, well, I, I know it myself, and I think all of us would, that sometimes at the, at the edge of an important breakthrough, then uh, unconsciousness comes whether it's sleep or the guardian or the dweller on the threshold, but it's a protective mechanism. And is that where the planet is right now? Too? That's where the planet is. And part of the unconsciousness will be like part of our hidden fear of death is our desire for authoritarianism. Like we start to become comfortable when the politicians tell, tell us what to do. Like don't have to think. Like we've got this. Just stay home, lock down, and you'll be okay. So there's a big danger of that level of fear that drives our unconsciousness that just wants somebody else to like do it for us. So I feel like we get to that level of unconsciousness just before there's a breakthrough. Yeah, and look for that over the next five years between 2025. Look for the kind of exhaustion of the body-mind world that we're so tired that we can barely go on. But then as you say, if you do push through it, if you use your will, Boom, something opens. Okay. Well, that was today. And uh, so we're through the full moon, the full moon of Aries Libra. And it said these full moons, you know, Oed might be able to share from the Judaic tradition, but in the esoteric tradition, these three full moons of Aries and Gemini and um, uh, Wesak, the, the Taurus full moon, uh, the three full moons where the, the, the energy is set for the next year. So um, Aries in particular is the initiating energy, the cracking, the breakthrough. It's the will, it's the use of your will to penetrate, whether it's breaking free from Egypt or whether it's breaking up for a moment onto the Buddhic plane or whether it's breaking free of one of the habits that have you or breaking free of your unconscious 
like be aware of this time of um, using your will to break free. Break free from that which you need to let go of in order to penetrate into the mystery deeper of who you really are. Okay, so tonight's temple. The only structure I have is just this idea that we can sense